Hello, Convention of State podcast listeners. Normally, we reserve this channel for audio versions of our live broadcast, COS Live and the Battle Cry with Mark Meckler. But as a bonus, we like to occasionally release some historic legacy audio for your enjoyment. In this audio from 2021, the Wisconsin Assembly debates the Convention of States Resolution. Wisconsin went on to become the 16th state to adopt our Article 5 application, calling for a convention to propose term limits, fiscal restraints, and reductions of scope and power of the federal government. The question is, shall Assembly Amendment 1 be adopted? All those in favor, signify by saying aye. All those opposed, no. The ayes have it. The amendment is adopted. The question is, shall Assembly Joint Resolution 9 be adopted? Gentlemen from the 43rd. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. When I read about this resolution, one of the concerns I have is that in the history of this country, we have never amended the Constitution by a convention of states. Even though the process has been tried numerous times, it hasn't happened. All 27 amendments have been passed by Congress. Now, a concern I have about this resolution is that historically, the best way we create reform is to start at the most local levels of our government and test and get consensus there. Then move to the state levels and then to the federal level. The most successful period of reform in this country's history occurred in the early 1900s. It's when we saw the greatest number of changes take place to correct a society we saw had fallen by the side. Now, I also have some skepticism about a convention of states and what they're commissioned to do. The Constitution was written by a group of delegates who were commissioned by the Annapolis Convention of the Articles of Confederation, which when the states had the authority and there was no federal government, it was authority granted to the states, they granted a group of states to get together to settle Shays Rebe- right, th- uh, um, disagreements about Shays' Rebellion and about the uh, rights along the Potomac River. They couldn't agree. So they commissioned a convention of states to go to Philadelphia in 1787 to revise the Articles of Confederation. What happened when they got there? These 55 men came to Philadelphia. They locked themselves in Constitutional Hall. They put guards by the door. They put uh, sand on the streets to muffle the cobblestone sounds. They agreed to scrap what they were sent to do and write a new Constitution, those three pages that are our government today which we could say probably was a good thing. But they didn't follow the guidelines they were sent there to do. Think of what Fox News, CNN, MNNBC would do today 
if a convention of states commissioned to do something would go, put guards at the door, not, not talk to the press, how we would view that today. That's how we got our Constitution. I can also tell you another example, a convention of states of New England during the War of 1812. They called themselves the Hartford Convention. They opposed the War of 1812 right from the very beginning because it affected their trade. And they called it Mr. Madison's War. And they refused to send troops to support the war. And so they sent a delegate to Washington, D.C. The day they arrived, it was announced Andrew Jackson had won the Battle of New Orleans. It stole their thunder of their grievances against the federal government and promoted the patriotism that I talked about today. And by the way, these Federalists were a party that would die out shortly after because they were seen out of touch with the public. The same thing happened in 1850 as this country debated its growing pains as we moved west. The Nashville Convention was held. Almost all southern states met to air their grievances against the North and its growing industrial power and its population base growing. It's only the Compromise of 1850 that destroyed the Hartford, that destroyed this convention and took away their thunder and they quickly died out. So you see, all the convention of states, and I could go through more, but my staff always tells me I can't talk too long because I get into a history lesson and I can't stop. And so, so I have to keep it short. But I want, I want, the bottom line is, if we have this convention of states, I haven't seen who's going to appoint the delegates from each state. So in Wisconsin, if we have a convention of states, because we have a Democratic governor and a Republican legislature, does it mean that we're going to have 10 Democratic delegates and 10 Republican delegates? I haven't seen that spelled out. And I'm not so concerned, I'm concerned that if we send this convention of states together, are they going to follow the specific guidelines? We've seen history has shown that that has not happened. And so, for, this re for the reasons I gave is I cannot support this resolution. The vote is no. Thank you. Gentleman from the 63rd. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I'd like to thank the gentleman from the 24th for bringing forward this resolution. Uh, for those members who were here last time, you recall we voted on this in the previous session. Uh, the interesting thing is there are two parts to this resolution. One deals with a balanced budget amendment and the other deals with term limits. Um, the fact that we have soon to be 18 new members uh, in the Assembly uh, just since last session goes to show that in the states, the problem of people being elected forever and losing touch with their constituencies is nowhere near as relevant as it is in Washington, D.C. Uh, we see that in a faraway land, uh, even now today more than at any other time in our nation's history, it seems like the people who are in Washington, D.C. are disconnected from reality and disconnected from the very people that they are supposed to represent. 
Unfortunately, here across the country, we also see that that same disconnect, when I heard the gentleman from the 43rd say states are supposed to be the laboratories of democracy, totally agree. If the federal government would mirror what's happening in the states, like Wisconsin, where we not only have a balanced budget, but we have a surplus, we'd be able to reduce taxes and grow our economy. We've been able to, prior to Governor Evers, control the regulatory burden. We have been able to do that in Wisconsin because we had a strong legislature and a pro-business, pro-growth governor. We see in Washington the exact opposite. Not just an unbalanced budget, but a bloated, bureaucratic, unresponsive federal administration that has almost no ability to even fathom the idea of balancing their budget. So the founders, when they put the document together, said that states are supposed to be the place that are the strongest part of our federal system. Unfortunately, over the course of the past hundred years, that system has been turned upside down, where the federal government dictates to the states what can be done. Even yesterday, we had to wait for some nameless, faceless bureaucrats to tell us maybe what we could do with the federal money they were nice enough to grant us to be able to deal with the pandemic. The amazing part is they said it was to be rushed because we had this pandemic, and now they're saying you can spend some of it this year, but the rest has to be spent next year because that was such an emergency. We had to not work and get this through in the first few days, but we're not going to even spend it. The federal government is broken and can't be fixed from within, which is why the only option that the Constitution allowed was for an external process elected officials from state legislatures empowered by the very idea of the Constitution, which is that legislatures should be preeminent in the federal system. They never, ever intended for a strong executive system. We've just allowed that, unfortunately, to happen over our history. But that's why they left this remedy in the law. Now, I understand that some of you worry that, wow, we might actually have the federal budget under control. We couldn't get all this welfare and federal largesse, and how would the world happen? It would be just fine because places would look an awful lot more like Wisconsin with a balanced budget, a growing economy, and a regulatory burden while still too big but much more manageable. How would we get it done? People from all across the country. This is what I don't understand about those who are fearful of a convention of the states. It still requires you to go through the same amending process that it would if an amendment was proposed by the Congress. The only difference is you get to involve people who aren't married to the Washington, D.C. establishment, bringing ideas forward and allowing those to maybe become a constitutional amendment and maybe go to the legislatures where the very people who are elected here in this body would have the right to say yes, no, and be able to reject or accept those. So the idea of saying we want to have term limits, I'm not sure I'm in favor of that, frankly. I, I'm, I don't think that that's probably a good idea. But at the same time, I don't fear the idea of bringing it forward. I don't fear the idea that we would have a debate and some states would say yes and others would say no, but we would have a real impact on Washington. But I will tell you, I would stand all day on my head if it meant that we would get a balanced budget in Washington, D.C. Because that's something for our kids and our grandkids and the future of the free world. Because the rate of which we have been spending other people's money, I always call it OPM, it's really easy to spend that. That is a burden that we are putting on our kids and our grandkids. And frankly, the inflation that's going to follow is a burden that's going to be on every one of our constituents and the entire free world. So I understand that your partisan natural reflex is to keep everything in Washington to trust nameless, faceless bureaucrats who get to decide whether or not we can cut taxes or not because the elected officials, frankly, don't really have the courage to many times direct us in that way. 
I certainly think this is the only process we have left. So I just wanted to say thank you to the gentleman from the 24th. I certainly hope that we tried to get it over the finish line before. We can do it today. We can get the rest of the country to realize that states are where the primary role of government should be, not the federal government with nameless, faceless bureaucrats and unfortunately unaccountable politicians. Gentleman from the 58th. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Um, Convention of States is an issue that matters to many of my constituents in the 58th Assembly District. To date, 297 constituents have contacted my office, and of those 297, 278 constituents are in favor of the Convention of States. 14 are against the Convention of States, and uh, five just contacted my office for general information, didn't have an opinion one way or the other. But uh, these 278 constituents uh, want to see the federal government on a fiscally sustainable path. Uh, they're asking for a convention of states for amendments that focus on government spending, reining in the power and jurisdiction of the federal government, and term limits for elected officials in the federal government. They are deeply concerned about the federal government's overreach, when it comes to regulations on states and businesses, and they believe the federal government has been getting out of control and want limits on growing power. Our founders, our founders rather, established the ability to have a convention of states for a reason. It's about the checks and balances that were put into place when it was ratified back in 1788. If this issue didn't matter, those 278 constituents of mine would not even be concerned. Um, it would not have the momentum across the state, nor would it have momentum across the entire country as it does now. The national debt now stands over 200, or I'm sorry, 28 trillion dollars, and a convention of states can help the endless rise of death. In Wisconsin, as our speaker mentioned earlier, we know how to be fiscally responsible. If Congress can't be fiscally responsible, then states like Wisconsin should take charge and needs to take charge of our own destiny. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Gentleman from the 97th. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Mr. Speaker, I'm wondering if the gentleman from the 43rd would yield to a question. Gentleman from the 97th asks the gentleman from the 43rd to yield to a question. Does he yield? He does not yield. Gentleman from the 97th. Well, Mr. Speaker, I was going to ask, uh, after that runaway convention in the 1780s, uh, what happened? Like, how did the Constitution become the law of the land and the Articles of Confederation get thrown out? What's the process by which that became reality? And I'm sure, being the uh, knowledgeable historian that he is, I suspect, Mr. Speaker, that he would have told me that, well, the Constitution had to go through a ratification process where each of the states had to approve that Constitution. And I'm sure he would probably elaborate on that and tell us about which states ratified it first and which ones were the last ones to come along. But, but even if we face a runaway convention, Mr. Speaker, the ratification process would be still the same that any amendments as adopted by this convention of states would have to face the scrutiny of the people of the United States in each respective state through bodies much like this, 
where we campaign, go door to door, knock on people's doors, talk to them face to face, and earn their votes. And we would have to make that ultimate decision. So the founders were pretty smart people. Um, they, I think, anticipated that, well, gee, we, we better make sure we've got some safeguards in place. So I, too, want to thank the gentleman from the 24th for bringing this forward. Um, and uh, I encourage you all to vote in favor of this. Gentleman from the 53rd. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. <clears throat> you know what my uh, reservation or skepticism is in Article 5, uh, Convention of States? I'm skeptical of the federal government. I, I have no confidence, zero confidence, that the federal government will ever, ever spend responsibly. I have zero confidence that the federal government will ever reduce our national debt. There's an old saying, um, power tends to corrupt, and absolute power corrupts, corrupts absolutely. Do you really think, with the power that the federal legislators have, that they're ever going to pass term limits on their own? It's never going to happen. You know, the, the national debt... Um, 28 trillion, approaching 30 trillion after the additional stimulus that's probably going to be passed in the transportation. I mean, we're probably looking well over 30 trillion. What's another trillion here or there? It's not going to affect anyone in this room, really. Maybe to a little degree. Maybe in a few years it could, but you know who it's going to affect? Our children and our grandchildren. They are the ones that are going to end up paying the price. You know, I'd, I'd ask the gentleman from the 43rd uh, to stand if he'd yield to a question, but I, I don't really want another history lesson. Um, but my question would be, why do you think the Founding Fathers even put the language in the Constitution? This language is in the Constitution. Did it just happen to pop in there? Did it accidentally get put in at the last minute? No, you know, you want to know why? You want to know why, Mr. Speaker, it's in there? Because the Founding Fathers were brilliant. They foresaw this happening, this national debt, out-of-control federal government, 245 years before it even happened. The vote is green. Gentleman from the 56. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I have to chastise my seatmate because I told him to stop me from pushing the yellow button, and he didn't do it. The gentleman from the 30th is out of order. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. As a Republican, as a conservative, I wish I didn't have to speak on this today. But I'm against this resolution. And I have a couple, I think, pretty good reasons why. Um, so we're talking about term limits and balanced budgets. 
Can anybody here tell me what those term limits are? Or how they would work? Can anybody tell me what the balanced budget is? Or how that would work? Would we just raise taxes to balance the budget? How would we do that? Now, we're told that, well, this group is going to get together and they're going to, to, to come up with some ideas. But I gotta tell you, everything that I've ever voted for in here, I always knew what it was. I was voting for something specific. Now I'm sort of voting for this, you know, nebulous idea that's out there that I don't really know what it is. And so I have to hope and pray that maybe the process will work out well. The speaker talked rather eloquently a few months ago in favor of this bill. And he said that three-quarters of the states would have to ratify it. And for that reason, that's the stopgap. That's what's going to protect us here. Well, we have 27 amendments to our Constitution, 17 of them after the Bill of Rights. They were all ratified by three-quarters of the states. And I would ask you, how many of those amendments are good amendments, and how many of them are bad? As I go through them, I see lots of bad amendments that have been ratified by 38 states. 38 states ratified the 16th Amendment to allow the federal government to put an individual ta uh, income tax on citizens. Was that a good idea? 38 states, or three-quarters of the states, voted in favor of the 17th Amendment, which took the right of state legislators to pick senators to send to Washington out of the hands of the state. Was that a good idea? Some people here might think so, but I don't. The 18th Amendment, prohibition. How'd that work out? We've had a few good ones. The 19th Amendment, giving women the right to vote. Some of these were good, but I would condemn. Uh, let me bring up one more. Um, the representative from the 87th, who was a, I think I got the right, yes, I do. Representative from the 87th was a big supporter of our, our last president. Some people tried to remove him from office with the 25th Amendment. I get a feeling, Representative, that you probably weren't too hepped up at that, uh, with that amendment at that time. Now, the Founding Fathers did not ignore term limits, by the way. In the Articles of Confederation, in Article 5, they had term limits before the Constitution. But what did they do when they put together the Constitution? They took that out. So this was not something that the Founding Fathers ignored. They knew exactly what they were doing. They considered it, and they decided not to do it. I also believe that some people have this pie-in-the-sky notion 
And right now, Democrats, you can you know, check your text messages, look at your emails. I'm going to talk to my side here for a minute. And that is, they have this idea that we can have term limits and we can dump Nancy Pelosi. Wow, that really sounds like a wonderful idea. And, you know, it, it gives us a moment of, of, of real, you know, real feel-good, right, right, right here in the heart. What do you think is going to happen if Nancy Pelosi is kicked out of office? Do you think the next person coming out of San Francisco is going to be more reasonable than she is? Do you think that they are going to be less liberal? Is that person going to be easier to work with? And of course, you don't get the job. If she's kicked out as speaker, the new person elected won't be speaker. The new person will be somebody else that they select. Maybe it would be an, uh, an Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez that would become the speaker if uh, Nancy Pelosi was not in there. So, you know, one of my colleagues talked about getting a lot of correspondence from his constituents in favor of this. And I have myself more in favor than against. And every once in a while, you have to ask yourself, why are constituents for something or why are they against it? Sometimes they're for something because they are just, they've just had it. They're exasperated with the situation, they're unhappy, and so any change is good change. But I think that's when we as legislators need to sometimes substitute our judgment and what we know about the situation and say, yeah, I understand that you're unhappy, but this is not going to fix things for you. This is not how we get there. Some people have asked me, how would you fix, you know, if we don't do this, what are you suggesting? How do we fix things? And I told my seatmate here earlier, I said, I would start going back to the amendments to the Constitution that we put in and start getting rid of some of them. There are lots of bad ones. I would get rid of the 16th Amendment. The 16th Amendment allowed the federal government to start taxing the people shift all the money to Washington and having the states go back with their hand out and saying, please, federal government, give us some of that money back. Is that, what, is that the way we want the government to work? Or would it be better if the federal government had to come to the state and say, geez, we need some money to operate on and we need the state to give us some. That would change the whole dynamic of how our government runs. So I understand why people are for this and why they will vote for it. And I understand that your constituents will probably tell you that that's what you need to do. But this process is very scary to me. I have no idea what people are going to come up with when they go into a convention. And the track record in modern times of us coming up with good ideas in these situations is not very good. Thank you, Mr. Speaker.
All right, with that, we will go to the resolution's author and then to the vote. The gentleman from the 24th has the floor. Thank you, Mr. Speaker, and I want to thank all those that uh, have engaged on the uh, discussion here today. Uh, when it comes to the, the U.S., we've had, actually had a lot of discussion today about the uh, Constitution and touched on it and the Star-Spangled Banner and uh, all those things patriotic. And when I uh, came in to the uh, State Assembly and raised my hand and took the oath of office to uphold uh, the U.S. Constitution, the State Constitution, uh, I took that very seriously and actually began more research in the Constitution because there's no way I'm a constitutionalist scholar, that's for sure. And I came across Article 5 of the Constitution and Article 5 was put in the Constitution for us, for states, to recognize those states. The states came together, they, they united to form the federal government. And those framers did realize that we need to keep the federal government in check. That is supposed to be a limited federal government or executive branch. And we're going to leave, it, uh, leave an option for the states to come forward, and if they have concerns, that they can propose amendments through a, cons a convention, an amendment convention. So here it is, and I'm, I'm amazed, really, that the states haven't done this to this point in time. When we look at some of the, we, we heard about some of the, uh, the amendments that are there, and, and some good or bad, Suppose we could uh, create a resolution to, uh, to call a convention to rescind an amendment. So that option is available to us as state legislatures. But I look at one other uh, man. We, we did hear it referenced, the, the, the 19th Women's Right to Vote. Uh, Congress, there's two ways to amend the Constitution through Congress. Congressional action still ratified by the states or by the convention of states. And then those are proposals at the convention. Anything that comes out has to be ratified by the states. By us. We're it. We're the deciding people. The 19th took over 20 years of women's suffrage trying to be recognized with the right to vote. And Congress dawdled. Didn't happen. Until finally, after, I guess, 20 years of pressure, they, they did uh, act and brought that forward. That's 101 years ago. Wisconsin was the uh, deciding, ratifying state to approve that amendment. And now, now we have that. But 20 years of effort uh, on individuals appealing to Congress, appealing don't know what they did with their local representatives, but I think there was an opportunity there for states to come together and could have got that done and recognize women and have the right to vote. We have that opportunity now. There's 15 states that have uh, moved this resolution forward. It's really an application to Congress when it uh, reaches 34 states and Congress is compelled to call the uh, convention. I would have a feeling that if we get towards that number, Congress might get really busy really fast because they're going to see, well, the states are making noise, those 
pesky states, and they're interested in a balanced budget. Imagine that. Balanced budget, just like they got to do at home. Term limits, that's scary. They're telling us we've been hanging around too long and not getting it done. And term limits are enjoyed by a large segment of the population, Democrat and Republican. So maybe Congress will get really busy once the states speak up and get close to that number that is needed to call the convention. And that's fine. But in the meantime, we make our effort as this is authority granted to us in the, con in, in the Constitution. It's just about time we exercise that authority that has been granted to us and make this effort in these uh, three particular areas. Uh, I do want to address, uh, it was brought up, uh, I believe from the gentleman from, from the 43rd, that uh, how do you pick the, uh, the delegates uh, or commissioners. Actually, here in the state of Wisconsin, we have it in law. And uh, Mr. Speaker, if I could just touch on, uh, read from uh, Wisconsin, all right, Wisconsin Act 83, 2017. Who will pick the appointees, Speaker of the Assembly, President of the Senate, the Governor, the Minority Leader, the Minority Leader of the Senate? And it goes on and clearly spelled out in law, on the books, who will pick those commissioners. It also gives us uh, that those, those commissioners, once they go, are under strict rules to only, to only address the, in this case, the three items that we are sending them to a convention for. And finally, there's also recall language here that if they're not acting according to their obligations, we call the recall them back and they can be replaced. Here in Wisconsin, we have that already in law. And then finally, that, that ratification process is just, we can't be, say enough about that, how important and how high of a bar that is. So if these proposed amendments come through a convention, they have to come back here. They have to come back to 50 states, 38 states. Both houses have to approve and rat to ratify. So turn that around. It only takes 13 states. One house in the 13 states can scuttle the whole, the whole process. So it comes back to us. We, the ones closest to the people, will make that decision. And we're the ones that are hearing from our constituents, as we've heard here today. They think this is a, a, a reasonable and a proper channel for states to be recognized when it comes to amending the U.S. Constitution. So I can't encourage you enough to come forward. I'll reference one other item. Uh, our Democrat colleagues brought together uh, in 2011, and there's uh, one, two, three, four members in this body today that voted for a, uh, a resolution to call a convention. So that time, a convention, I guess, wasn't feared by those people. We have the opportunity here again today to call for a convention. So I ask that you join me in the vote is green. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Question is, shall Assembly Joint Resolution 9 be adopted? A roll call has been requested. All in favor of adoption will vote aye. Those opposed will vote no. The clerk will open the roll. Have all members recorded their vote?
Have all members recorded their vote? If so, the clerk will close the roll. There are 58 ayes, 36 noes. The resolution is adopted. Gentlemen from the 5th. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. Yes, I consent to suspend the rules immediately. Message AJ or 9 to the Senate. Gentlemen from the 5th, ASCM's consent that the rules be suspended in Assembly Joint Resolution 9 be immediately messaged to the Senate. Is there any objection? Hearing none, it is in the Senate. Clerk will read the title of the next bill or resolution. Assembly Joint Resolution 47 is relating to declaring March to declaring May 5th as National Skilled Trades Day in Wisconsin. Question is, shall Assembly Joint Resolution 47 be adopted? All in favor of adoption will say aye. All opposed, no. The ayes have it. The resolution is adopted. Gentlemen from the 5th. <laughs> Thank you, Mr. Speaker. SAMS consent to suspend the rules. Immediately message AJR 47 to the Senate. Gentlemen from the 5th, SAMS consent that the rules be suspended. Assembly Joint Resolution 47 be immediately messaged to the Senate. Is there any objection? Hearing none, it is in the Senate. The clerk will read the title of the next resolution. Assembly Joint Resolution 48, relating to recognizing Asian Pacific Islander Desi American Heritage Month as a time to honor the important contribution of Asians, Asian Americans, Pacific Islanders, and Desi Americans to the history of the United States. Question is adoption of Assembly Joint Resolution 48. All in favor of adoption will say aye. All opposed, no. The ayes have it. The resolution is adopted. Gentlemen from the 5th. Thank you, Mr. Speaker. I stand with consent. Check out more content at conventionofstates.com slash pod. Thank you for listening.